0: Welcome to the sequel. Here we are. We're in good vibes. If you haven't been with us, here's what I would encourage you to do. Go back over the last five weeks on our YouTube channel and you can watch. uh, We went through every evil spirit that you can encounter from Jezebel to Absalom to Judas to Simon to Lucifer and just walk through how that evil manifests itself spiritually. In fact, here's the verses that we based that last season off of. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. You're going to know 12 really well. Verse 10, a final word. This is important. Stop right there. A final word. He's saying, in other words, to wrap up everything that we've talked about. The book of Ephesians is about adoption and identity. We should do a season on the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is adoption and identity. And he's saying, in light of your adoption and in light of your identity in Christ, in light of all of these things, therefore, a final word, be strong in the Lord, and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Verse 12, here we are. This is the last five weeks. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly world. Places. My problem is not people. My problem is. You got it. My problem is not people. I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood. I'm wrestling against evil spirits. Verse 13 here's what we've waited for for five weeks. Therefore, all right, finally, therefore. Because we're in this battle against evil spirits, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm contextually, one of the things I love about this is the the church in Ephesus had already given themselves to the occult, right? So like they had already given themselves over to sorcery and evil. You'll see it in Acts 19, 17 through 19. It's speaking of Paul's journey throughout Ephesus, and here's what it says. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus. Book of Ephesians is about Ephesus. to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. Here are their sinful practices. Verse 19. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. Here's why that's important, because Paul's wrapping up a letter to the Ephesians, and he's talking to them about a very intimate battle that they're experiencing. And in the midst of that intimate battle, Paul is saying, you have the tools to to win this battle. This is not a foreign battle with a distant God who does not go know what we're walking through. We serve a God who intimately knows the battles that we are facing. It's the whole theology behind atonement. What is atonement? That my sins were placed on Jesus and Jesus went to the cross with my sins, with my addictions, with my struggles, with my challenges, with my lies, with my deceptions. Those were placed on Jesus and he went to the cross to die for my sin so that I can live like him. Here's the first thing we have to understand. This is a battle of intimacy. This is not a battle that God doesn't know about. The things that you're battling, the things that you're fighting, the things that you're coming up against, your Jezebel spirit of manipulation, your Absalom spirit of rebellion, your Judas spirit of betrayal, your Simon spirit of materialism, or your Lucifer spirit of deception and manipulation and lying, this is the answer. Paul is saying in the middle of the battle that you face the intimate battle of your heart. Jesus has stepped into that and he's given us victory. I can say that one. It's a man born in the Ukraine who had a heart for becoming an artist. He was passionate about art and painting landscapes. He loved portraits and landscapes. After graduating from the Kiev State Institute in Ukraine and preparing to embark on his career as an artist, his ambitions were forced to the side and paused when he was forced to join a battle that had broken out and he he went to war. He fought in several battles, but eventually was wounded and captured as a POW in September of 1941. He was locked in a camp called Coral Pit, where approximately 90,000 civilians were killed. These people in these camps faced horrific torture. They were crammed into containers like sardines. But he said the only thing that was better than being in the, the only thing that was better about being in the containers where you weren't forced to endure the punishment outside in the elements of the weather. He saw the most horrific torture that a person can see. And yet he escaped two years after being inside of the camp, but not without consequences. Nothing tells his story better than this picture. Guys, do you have the the picture? This is a young, aspiring artist with a zeal for life and excitement for painting and artistry. And this is four years later after walking through war. Isn't that hard to imagine? Young man still in his early 20s and yet... That's what happens. UFC commentator and podcaster Joe Rogan was talking about this man's story and he had Andy Stump, who's a a former, he's a retired Navy SEAL. He owns Black Rifle Coffee now. He was on with Joe and they were talking about this picture and Andy Stump said something that I thought it just summarized the whole thing in one sentence. He said, when you touch war, war touches you back. He said, when you touch war, War. War touches you back. One of the most common metaphors of our early church fathers when talking about our spiritual life was war. they they summarized it by saying we are in battle, we are at war. The most common metaphor used by the Apostle Paul to talk about the spiritual life is war or battle. He uses it with the Corinthians, he uses it with the Romans, he talks about his chains with the Philippians and here in Ephesians he paints the whole picture of battle. This was common language in the early church and with the Apostles that we are at war. Listen Listen to St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers. Here's what he says. During this earthly pilgrimage, our life cannot be free from temptation, for none of us comes to know ourselves except through the experience of temptation. Nor can we be crowned until we have come through victorious, nor can we be victorious until we have been in battle nor fight our battles unless we have an enemy and temptations to overcome. Much of St. Augustine's writings revolve around the spiritual battle that we face. And he he revolves around three different things. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And we are at war with the world. We are at war with our own flesh. And we are at war with the devil. And all of that to say and some of you may feel like after the last five weeks like that transformation has happened to you you're like man I walked into the church happy joyful and encouraged and excited and I'm ready for a good word and the past five weeks have just exposed some of the deepest sinful natures of my heart here is the good news therefore we have a battle that we can win we are not in a battle that we can't win We're not, thank you so much, Murphy. We're not stuck in a battle that we're losing. This is the whole message that Paul finishes the book of Ephesians with, is you are in a battle. You are in war, and you have touched war, and war has touched you back. But because of that, now we have victory. And our victory is found in Christ in three different ways. Where do we go when we talk about fighting a battle that we can win? Where do we go after five weeks of exposing darkness? Darkness that we battle against and darkness that is within us that we are trying to fight against. How do we overcome? How do we find victory? We start with Paul's introduction and it's three things. Power, victory, example. There is a power that we stand in, there is a victory that we have, and there is an example that we follow. Let's jump into the first one, it's power. There is a power that we have, and we have to understand this power is greater than any other power that we face. Here's Paul's words, Ephesians 6, verse 10. A final word, this wraps it all up. Be strong in the Lord, that's one, and in his mighty power, that's two. Let's break it in half. Number one, he says, Be strong in the Lord. Number two, and in his mighty power. When Paul says, Be strong in the Lord, if you have those words in your Bible or on your sermon notes, circle it, make note of it. Paul, this is an interesting thought. Paul never uses the Greek word methides for disciple. He never mentions the word discipleship. Paul never says disciple or discipleship. If it's from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, middle of the book of Acts, that word disappears. 167 times Paul uses this phrase, in Christ. In other words, Paul's entire structure for spiritual formation is in Christ, is being in Christ. Christ. How do you get to this power? The number one place you have to be if you are going to overcome and you're going to win this battle against your flesh, against the devil, against the world, against evil spirits. If you're going to win the battle, you have to be in Christ. That is not a Sunday morning knuckles with Jesus. I came to church and I'm good for the week. That is not I listen to worship music on the way to work. That is a life in. Christ. It is my feet in Christ. It is my heart in Christ. It is my hands in Christ. It is my eyes in Christ. My ears in Christ. My words in Christ. My thoughts in Christ so that my whole body is a living sacrifice walking in Christ as part of his transformational. The words in Christ are metamorpho in the Greek. It's metamorphosis that we are being metamorphed into Christ himself. What is the first way we find victory in Christ? We've got to be in Christ. We've got to be in worship. We've got to be in prayer. We've got to be in community. We've got to be in church. We've got to be serving. We've got to be honoring the Lord in our homes. We've got to be honoring the Lord with our children. What are these parents doing when they stand up here and they dedicate babies? They are giving their babies to the Lord and saying our family is going to be in Christ. Our children are going to be in Christ. And we're going to live a life so that Christ becomes the centerpiece of their lives. That's where we have to go. If you want victory, you have to be in Christ. And then the second part is in his mighty power. I love this. The same Greek words that Paul uses for in his mighty power, he introduces to us in the very beginning of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him, what is Paul's prayer? That you would understand that you have a great power. Paul's prayer is that you would wrap your mind around the fact that you have a great power. This is the same mighty power, those are the exact same words that we just talked about in Ephesians 6.10. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Did you catch that? I'll give you one more, and then we'll sound off. Romans eight eleven, The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Did you hear Paul? Here's what Paul is saying. You have a greater power than anything that is trying to drag you away. You got a power that's greater than pornography. You got a power that's greater than addiction. You got a power that's greater than the thoughts in your head that are telling you your life is not worth living anymore. There's a greater power, but to get to that greater power, we have to be in. Christ, that is the armor of God. The armor of God makes that power accessible to us, right? That's what we're talking about. Let me give you one more. 1 John 4, 4. But you belong to God. Sometimes you just need to remind yourself that you're God's child. Because the world can lie to you, your thoughts can lie to you, culture can lie to you and tell you you're a child of something else. You are God's child today. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're God's child. That means this power is accessible to you. This power is for you. Just remind yourself of that. On three, we're, I am God's child. On three, one, two, three, I am God's child. One more time, one, two, three, I am God's child. Remind yourself of that. You are not a child of the world. You're not a child of your past. You're not a child of things that have been spoken over you, that have torn you down and captivated your identity for years. You are not a child of that. You are a child of God. And here's the overarching message that Paul begins with when he says, here's your final word. You've got a power. And your power is greater. Is Brett, is Brett in this one? Brett, Brett Thompson, are you in here? He, no, Brett's not here. Uh, so Brett would know this. There, there's this. There's electricity, right? There's 110 and 220, right? I, I know very little about it. Here's what I know. Uh, in Conroe, we used to have these heaters that would heat baptismal tanks, and they were 220 plug-ins, right? So these giant, big plug-ins that you would plug in to these massive extension cords, and one of them got really wet. And after it got really wet, I was like, there ain't no way I'm plugging that thing in, right? That is a lot of power. And there's this guy, he's like, "Ah, I worked with electricity for years. My whole life worked with electricity. He said, 220 is just going to knock you off, 110 will kill you. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, he's like, give it here, I'll plug it in. You know that brother died of electric shock? I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. (laughs) I'm totally, <laughs> I'm totally joking with you, right? But I mean, he was, this, this stuff, I don't know anything about it. But here's what happened to me. I was in Johannesburg, South Africa, and I bought a cell phone. It was, a, it was an international phone that I could use over there, right? And so I got to South Africa. And I, I needed to plug it in to charge it. And I, I mean, I don't know anything about this stuff. And I plugged it into the wall. And within minutes, I started smelling smoke, right? I started I smelling like something is on fire. In my, and I looked down at the phone and I could, I could smell. And it, the phone was catching on fire. It was like literally starting to burn up the phone. So I unplugged it. And I called one of my friends, Curvin Goliath. Is his name. He's a pastor in Johannesburg, South Africa. I said, "Curvin, what is going on?" I was thinking about burnt my phone up. He's like, ah, oh, me brew, me brew, me brew." He shows up to the hotel and he brings me an adapter. And he said, here's what you need. You need this adapter, and this adapter, you can plug into the outlet, and then you can harness that power to charge your device. And I don't know what it did or how it worked, but I'll tell you this much, charged that phone in like five minutes flat. It didn't burn it up or anything like that. Here is what we have in the armor of God. The armor of God is the adapter that takes a greater power and transfers it to us so that we can be empowered to live like Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, you get in Christ, that's an adapter. You walk, in his mighty, you walk in his might, that is an adapter. You put on the belt of truth, that's an adapter. You hold the shield of faith, that's an adapter. You put on the helmet of salvation, that's an adapter. You have the sword of the spirit, that's an adapter. And when you have these things, you harness a far greater power than anything the world could offer you. And you harness it into your life so that you can use it to live like Jesus and do what he did. That's where we're headed. But the first thing we have to understand is in this battle for our soul, in this five-week battle that we have uncovered, we have to understand this. We have the greater power. We have the greater power. Second thing we have is victory. This is really important for us to wrap our minds around. We have the victory of Christ, of the battle that has already been won. Ephesians 6 verse 11 says, put on all of God's armor. This is really important to understand. Twice in these four verses, Paul mentions putting on all of the armor. This is not a scenario where you put on the belt of truth when it's convenient. This is not a scenario where you hold the shield of faith until it gets too heavy and then you put it down and give up. This is not a time where you have the sword of the Spirit when you're around your Christian friends and then you have something else when you're not around your Christian friends. This is not. He's, every time Paul mentions this, he makes emphasis to say, don't put on the armor, put on all of the armor. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm this is a really great Greek word that we're going to explore here in a minute but he's saying you need to stand firm what are we going to do we're going to put on the armor so that we can stand firm against all strategies of the devil you know I'm a big fan of Eugene Peterson I love the message listen to how he paraphrases this here Ephesians 6 through 12 he says and that about wraps it up God is strong and he wants you strong So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. I love what he says here. This is no weekend war that we'll walk away from and forget about a few hours from now. This is not a Sunday morning only thing. This is not a Sunday morning only thing. This is for keeps, a life or death fight, to the finish against the devil and his angels. That word that I we, we told you to remember, stand firm. He says you need to put on this armor so that you can stand firm. It's a word that's used for construction materials to speak of, of it setting up, right? So like concrete sets up, plaster sets up. He's using this word and he's saying you need to be in a way so that the armor of God will set up your foundation and bring strength to it so that nothing can trample it, right? I got, I got a video for you to kind of give you an example of this. Guys, play the video. Yeah. Um, i hey, 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 hey. Crowley. Crowley. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, I'd probably use the same words he used, right? That dog is now for sale at the Chinese buffet, right? <laughs> like, that's what happened to that dog. I'm just telling you. Uh, so here's, here's the word, right? So you got that picture. Here's, what happens to that concrete once it sets up? You can drive a car on it. Dog can run up and down, he's not gonna make footholds. What is the difference between the enemy stomping mud holes in your foundation and stepping on you and not getting any sort of foothold whatsoever? It is the armor of God. And it is putting on this armor of God so that we can set up, so that we can stand firm, so that we have a foundation that is immovable, impenetrable, that cannot be taken over by the enemy. You get the imagery here, right? This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, let your concrete foundation set up firm in the armor of God. And then he ends here, and I love this, with the example this is where we're headed, and we're going to explore these over the next couple of weeks. But here's the example, and before we begin, I think this is important to acknowledge the armor of God is not a self-directed sanctification. It's not a self-directed salvation. This is really important, because if we get in this mindset that my sanctification is only going to be attached to how well I put on the armor of God, and I'm constantly working for God's approval. No, no, no. We have been welcomed into the family of faith. We have been a adopted. God loves us. He chose us before the beginning of the world, and he has set us apart to be holy in Christ, which means this. The battle has already been won, right? But in the midst of the battle, my calling is to be the best soldier that I can be. In other words, the armor of God is not so much so that you can get God's approval. The armor of God is so that you can live free here, so you don't have to live in bondage here. So you don't have to live in bondage of a Judas spirit and constantly be betraying. You don't have to live in bondage of a Lucifer spirit and be deceptive and manipulative all the time. And you don't have to live in bondage of a Jezebel spirit always lurking in the shadows to cause chaos. You don't have to live in bondage to that anymore because you have the armor of God. But that armor of God is not going to constantly be an effort for me to get right with God, right? We're right with God through Jesus in salvation. God does a work outside of us and he does a work in us so that we can be his children and now that we're his children we have these tools so that we can be great soldiers in a battle that's already won make sense I'll read it to you here here's the work God does outside of us Ephesians 1 4 through 6 we need to do a season on Ephesians there's a lot of richness in this book even before he made the world listen to this God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That is who we become at salvation. We become his children. He has loved us. He has chosen us. And he set us apart to be holy, right? We are right in God's eyes, not because of our effort, but because of Jesus and what Jesus has already done. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace. He has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. It is grace that fills in the gap between who I am and who God wants me to be. And when I make a decision to follow Jesus and I'm welcomed into his family, I'm made right with him by a work that happened outside of me. By a work that Jesus did. Now he does a work in me. Philippians 2 verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So we got that, right? God has done a work outside of me to save me and make me right with God. God is doing a work in me to make me the type of person that he desires for me to be here on earth. And the armor of God is the tools that I need so that I can live free here on earth, so I don't live in bondage, so I don't live by the direction of these evil spirits, but I live by the Holy Spirit that fills me and strengthens me beyond the things that I face here on earth. This is why this is important, and here is the the cool part of the armor of God. Every single piece of the armor of God is a messianic fulfillment. I'll I'll walk you through all of them right here. Um, Number one is the belt of truth. That is the belt That girds the messianic king in Isaiah 11.5. The armor of righteousness and the helmet of salvation are in the divine warrior's arsenal in Isaiah 59.17. The boots of peace for the gospel are the feet of those who proclaim the arrival of the Messiah's kingdom in Isaiah 52.7. God himself is the shield of faith described in Genesis 15, and the sword of the Spirit is the weapon that was wielded by the promised servant of the Lord in Isaiah 49, verse 2. Here's what all of that means. Every single piece of the armor of God is a messianic fulfillment, which means this. Jesus wore the armor before us. Jesus wore the armor before us. Jesus fulfills the armor. Jesus' blessing is on the armor. Remember where Paul started. Be strong in Christ. How do we get into the armor? We go through Christ who already wore it for us. And then when we go into Christ and we take these tools that Christ has worn and Christ has fulfilled and Christ has given us, we become like Jesus. I'll illustrate it for you. So my grandfather was my hero. He was he was the guy, I just, he was, he was the greatest human on the planet. I loved him, wanted to be like him. I still have his picture on my desk in my office just to remind me of of one of the men I I would strive to become. And he he passed away from Alzheimer's. He was just, he was my hero, right? And so I remember him, and, and, and just how wonderful of a person. I forgot you guys were here today, too. Is grandma here too? Did she make it? She's too old, she's sleeping in, right? She'll watch it on YouTube. Um, So my grandpa was my hero, right? And I remember the other day, so we're we're doing um, Halloween and we finished and I was doing hay rides and I had this trailer and I had this side by side that I was pulling it on with these hay bales and at the end of the night I had to put it all away. So uh, I had to load the side by side on the trailer, put away the hay bales and it got cold at night. So I ran inside really quick and I brought it with me. I'll show it to you. I ran inside, poof, he's gone. Rapture. All right. And then I, I ran inside into my closet, and I just grabbed the first coat that I could find. And, and when my grandfather passed away, one of the things that I got uh, was this coat. And I, I got this coat, and I'm just telling you, if you smell it, it still smells like him. Like, I, it's just, it is something so, I, I grabbed this coat, it's cold outside, I throw it on, and right when I threw it on, I was like, smells like my grandpa. I feel like he's here. And what it did was it took me back in my mind to these memories of this oak of a man who was so patient with me. He was so kind. He was so gracious with me. I think back and like, I I guarantee you, I was not an easy kid to have tag along, right? I was getting into everything, messing everything up, and he was so gracious, and he was so kind to me. So here I am, I have his jacket on, I can smell him, it feels like he's with me, and I'm remembering how he was with me. And then there's Canaan. And Canaan's trying to help me put a trailer on the truck and Canaan wants to do the straps and Canaan wants to load the hay bales and Canaan's wanting to do all of this. And instead of getting annoyed or instead of getting frustrated, I'm wearing the coat, I'm remembering my grandpa and I'm thinking to myself, what would grandpa have done? I got his jacket on after all and I'm just so gracious with him took us an hour longer than it should have to clean everything. I'm like, oh, you want to do the straps, do the straps. Great job, pal. Incredible job. You want to load the hay bales with me? Awesome job. You want to start the truck? Get in, sit down. Starts the, press the button, starts the truck. And what happened was I put something on that reminded me of someone, and that memory brought back the character of that person, and that character began to come out of me. That's the armor of God. When we put Christ on, his character becomes our character. His patience becomes our patience. His grace becomes our grace. His mercy becomes our mercy. And as we walk in this power and we wear this armor, we become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. That's where we're headed.